thanks everyone for reading that together. Um, I hope you had a had a. <laughs> it's actually my watch, and I want it back. Thank you. Okay. Um, thanks so uh, thanks so much for reading. Uh, some of Romans 12. We're going to be looking at the the chapter through the, through the autumn. I hope you've been having a good summer, um, and I hope too during summer because you know in summer our our usual rhythms get disrupted, and sometimes that's good in terms of us in our relationship with God, and sometimes it's not so good. Sometimes it causes us to drift off, and uh, and so what I pray is, is as we come around this chapter through the autumn, is that we will reconnect both with God and with one another. But I hope in the summer, at some point, you've had a you've had a moment where where uh, a God moment, a proper God moment, where heaven broke loose for you. And there were some amazing things. I think for me, it was uh, when we, were, we went to the New Wine Festival and we did some seminars and we, we were just talking about them just beforehand, just now. Um, and yesterday also at the wedding uh, that we were at. And uh, there, were, there were moments in those seminars where you could really see God at work. You could see heaven breaking loose as a, a, a good number of people all were praying for one another in the power of the Spirit. They were doing their best to heal the sick. They were doing their best to prophesy. And all kinds of things were happening. And even in our little team uh, of four, five or six people, some people were, were seeing multiple people healed as they prayed. And, uh, and I've been longing for that. I've been longing to see God at work in greater power uh, amongst us. And so we're looking forward to what God's going to do through the autumn. However, at the same time, for as long as I've been alive, and I'm not going to tell you quite how long that is, the Christian faith and the Christian church have been in decline in this country. So the last census, a couple of years ago, there was a 13% drop in the number of Christians. The latest survey from last week of Anglican clergy sees two-thirds of Anglican clergy believing that this is no longer a Christian country at all. And when I was born... There were, not because I was born, it just happened to be when I was born, there were huge social changes that went on in the 1960s. These things erupted. The sexual revolution erupted. Again, nothing to do with me. Um, uh, uh, but it was as a consequence of massive philosophical swerves away from God from the pre over the previous 150 years. And um, you might know the poet Philip Larkin, and he wrote a, a poem called Annus Mirabilis, and it begins like this. He says, sexual intercourse began in 1963, which was rather late for me, between the end of the Chatterley Band and the Beatles' first LP. It kind of gave a flavor of just things going on. There were huge social changes that promised liberation and progress, aided particularly by advances in technology and not, as people started to think, uh, from an imaginary friend in the sky. Sixty years later... As we look around, how has that promise of life without God worked out for everyone? And looking around the country, my opinion would be is not that well. Of course, there have been some wonderful advances during that time, medical advances in particular. But there is also an overwhelming sense of loss and decline. So society seems to be much more divided, more tribal than ever. You know, uh, young people can't buy a house really anymore and disproportionately struggle with mental health. As people become Christians and join the church, we're aware that even over the last five years, 
the difficulties and the brokenness in people's lives has kind of grown exponentially in their lives or in their families or in the communities that they're a part of. Politics is crumbling. As we heard, uh, sex has become really pornified. And as Rich Johnson, who spoke at our weekend away last, last, uh, last year, no, earlier this year, he said, the, the secular project is failing and people are starting to recognize that. Back to the survey of Anglican clergy, they, they were saying that the answer is to bring the church more into line with public opinion. I thought it was a pretty dismal outcome, to be honest. Um, last year, Joe and I heard the historian Tom Holland speak, and he was, he, was, he was speaking to Christians. He said, you Christians, you know, you believe some really different, strange, weird things, don't you? You believe about angels and demons and supernatural power and that sort of thing. He said, keep Christianity weird. That's my, that's my advice. Because, because, because there's power in what God does. But it's, it's, you know, we're talking about the living God. He is not someone who's going to be tamed. He's not someone who's going to uh, make, you know, make room in his life for public opinion. So into this gloomy picture that I've just br- very briefly painted, what I want to say is what a brilliant time it is to be a follower of Jesus and a participant in his church. You know, in this country, we are more of a remnant uh, than we used to be. But if we can be a remnant filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, one who shines brightly with the love of Jesus and transformational power, then all heaven can break loose on a regular basis. And I think people want to know that there is reality, that there is truth, that there is love, that there is compassion to be found somewhere. So this Romans 12 chapter, which I'm just going to look at verse 1 for a few moments, uh, I just want us to meditate on it over the autumn because it is a really beautiful chapter in Paul's greatest letter, his letter to the Romans. And it's a chapter on being the community of God, fostering the relationships that we have through Jesus in turbulent times and in turbulent places. So Paul's writing to Rome. It's the center of the known world at the time. It's the center of the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire Empire was governing, you know, huge swathes of the world. And so there's this enormous clash uh, right at the heart of Rome, which is the clash between empire and kingdom, between the empire of Rome and the kingdom of God. And these Christians really knew about that. And this year, over these next few months, uh, 23, 24, We want to, as a church, lean into this chapter and lean into a couple of things in particular that we want to grow in confidence in God and his mission and the power of his spirit and the trustworthiness of his scriptures. I mentioned mission, spirit, and scripture before. And and we want to grow in confidence so that we can be people who easily say to someone else, this is how you can come to know Jesus, or this is how you can receive the spirit's power, or... When you read this book, it has tr- ancient truth in it that will, you know, be a rock for your life that you can live on and live up- uh, and lean on to. So we want to increase confidence amongst us as Christians and also as a community. We just want to find a place for everyone who, uh, 
who calls himself part of ENC, uh, everyone to find a place to contribute, to serve, to be a part of things, so that we are a strong community. I mean, community took a massive battering in COVID, and we want to be a community that is both confident and has a place where everyone is able to contribute. So just for a few moments, let's look at verse 1. Say after me, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, therefore, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So, let me say a few words about each of those. In view of God's mercies, Paul has spent 11 chapters detailing God's mercies, his extraordinary mercies to us. And we may need to, to kind of soak in a reminder of how merciful God has been to us. He, Paul makes a diagnosis in the first two or three chapters that the heart of the uh, of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, essentially, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then halfway through chapter 3, he says, but now, but now, God's justice and love have been made available in Jesus Christ through the cross and the resurrection, and we have received grace. We have received grace through faith, and we have received peace with God. And then when you get to Romans chapter 8, which is the most glorious chapter possibly in all of Scripture, he, talk, he riffs on the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit frees us. The Holy Spirit lives in our, in our lives. He gives us life. He leads us into a life of self-control. He lets us know that we are God's children. He prays for us. We are, he makes us heirs to all his, his resources in heaven. He works in us for good, as we've been singing, and that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you and I from God's love, not life or death or angels or demons or anything. So just quickly, do you have a view of God's mercies to you? Are you, again, grateful that God has come into your life in a fresh way? Um, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago. In view of God's mercies, brothers and sisters, he then says this quite shocking thing. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies. This is a particular shock for Greeks because they felt that the bodies were bad. But here, Paul is saying, no, 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 your bodies is an, is an essential part of your worship, bringing yourself. And sometimes in our world, sometimes in our kind of, uh, uh, the, the Christian culture in which we live, we talk about giving our hearts to Jesus or uh, opening, up, opening up our hearts to God. And, it, and that is important. But here, Paul is very specific about saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The writer John Stott says this, no worship is pleasing to God, which is purely inward, abstract, and mystical. So if, for those who feel that, you know, Christian faith should be just personal and private and inward, then you have St. Paul against you on that score. And it's good to have a little think about that. Present your body. Your body is absolutely essential to your spiritual life because your body either leads you away from God physically, spiritually, in all kinds of ways, or you can use your body to lead, lead you towards God. Your body, what you do with your body trains your heart. 
what, what you do with your hands and what you do with your eyes and your tongue and your feet and, and the whole of your body. It, as you present yourself to God and you say to God, use me, use all of me. Here I am, I'm just showing up. Use all of me. Then we can train our body into good habits because it's, an, it's a field of energy that you have say over. You can, you can direct what you want to do with your body. And as you direct it in Godward ways, then it trains your heart towards worship and love and gratitude. How you present your body to God and how you live with your body in your life through your week will change your inner life. It works from the outside in. And then Paul goes on to say another shocking thing, which is present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, Paul is sort of echoing enormous amounts of the Old Testament here where he's referencing the, the sacrificial system. The ancient world really understood the sacrificial system and we don't, and the Jews especially did. But an animal was presented upon the altar to be killed or to be burnt for the sake of others, for forgiveness, for prosperity or something like that. And so when we present our bodies for sacrifice, we do it for the benefit of God and for the benefit of of others. So we pray, I present my body to you, Lord, for your service, to become more like Jesus, to serve others, to worship you. I present my body before you. But as Tom Wright says, living sacrifices, unlike dead sacrifices, have a tendency sometimes to crawl off the altar because they're alive. And so our job, Paul says, is to make sure that we continually place ourselves, place our whole lives on the altar before God and say, this is me. I bring all of myself. Use me for your glory. I don't know if you heard, uh, when the lionesses were doing well, um, uh, it it was great to see all the different political leaders um, taking photos of themselves supporting the lionesses. Did you see some of those? There's a lot of this kind of stuff and it's great. And and, uh, and, uh, the prime minister made a comment where he, he talked about um, leaving nothing on the pitch. Did you hear about that one? Uh, so he, he praised them for leaving nothing on the pitch. And then lots of people say, no, no, you're supposed to say, leave every, you left everything on the pitch. And, uh, and then there was this massive like, discussion about whether it was nothing or whether it was everything. Who thinks it's nothing? Who thinks it's everything? Okay, it's a general, yeah. So I think that was the general consensus, although a few people pointed out a few pundits saying nothing. Anyway, the whole point is, is that we, Paul is calling us to leave it all out on the pitch, to leave it all on the altar, to, to, and to stay there, because we can jump off if we want to, but to stay there. So he says, that is holy and pleasing to God, That is your spiritual worship, or more accurately translated, that is your reasonable service, is what the Greek says. But in this translation it says, that's your spiritual worship. And so when we come to God, and when we play our part in the community of God, it is a sacrifice. It will cost us. Coming today costs us gathering together with others. Being part of a network costs us Worship costs us, you know, whether you're worshipping on your own at home, it costs us time, it costs us um, effort. And when we come together, 
It's costly to give ourselves. But true worship and true life before God is always costly. King David knew this. Uh, Andy Flanagan was talking about this at, um, at the breakfast where King David uh, wants to make a sacrifice and uh, he wants to do it on this particular threshing floor that belongs to someone else. He wants to sacrifice some oxen to avert a plague. And the man, because it's King David, he offers it all to him for free. And David insists on paying the full price for the threshing floor and the oxen and everything else. And he makes this statement. He says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. It's not worship. It's not life before God. And uh, when I've been talking with people recently about baptism promises, people at baptism make the same sorts of promises. They say, I submit to Christ as Lord. I submit to Christ. I let him lead my life. It's costly. It's a sacrifice. And what God calls us to does call us to sacrifice ourselves before God and present ourselves as living sacrifices. So the question is, to finish with, since it's so costly, since it's such a sacrifice, why would anyone do that? Why would anyone place themselves on the altar before God? Well, Paul's answer is the bit he gave at the beginning, which is, in view of God's mercies, in view of his mercies, present your bodies. And those two things go entirely together. So the mercy we receive is incredible grace. Christian faith is grace. But Christian life is gratitude, is that we stay on the altar out of gratitude because of the grace that we've received. And the more that we receive grace and the more that we recognize grace in our life, the more we are able to step forward and and present ourselves and say, Lord, here I am. This is all of me. Use me. Use me for your glory. So why don't we pray that for a few moments now, shall we? So let's stand. Let's stand. I just wonder if at the beginning of a new season that we might pray together, if you want to pray with me, that you present yourself to God. You present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual worship. And uh, if you want to pray with me, I just want to encourage you to make a body sign towards God. And there may not be much room in front of you, but just to step forward as a sign of leaning into God, stepping onto the altar, and just bringing a posture before God that says, Lord, this is me. This is me at the end of the summer, at the beginning of the autumn. I want to offer myself to you in view of your great mercies to me. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your extraordinary mercies in our life. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that you turned our lives around. We thank you that you entered into our, our, our lives with your love and your power. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for deliverance. 
We thank you for your mercy where we have been um, just running away from you or drifting away from you. Thank you that in your kindness you call us back into your embrace. Thank you for your mercies. So today, September the 3rd, we just offer ourselves, we present ourselves, present our bodies as living sacrifices. We want to be holy and pleasing to God. We want to be useful in your kingdom. And would you take who we are and what we have, Lord God, and just multiply it in your service. And just for some of us, Lord, we, do, we just ask that you would have mercy and help us in the area of what other people think about us. Help us to step into living differently and being different because you have called us. Set our hearts on fire with love for you again. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I just want to encourage anyone who wants to receive further prayer um, for any particular reason and th or things that you're facing, this is a great moment to ask someone maybe who's near you in the pews or somebody would, uh, there'll be a group of people here who will pray with you at the front. Uh, do either just come forward or turn to people and ask for prayer. If in particular you're unwell, and we have been really like pushing into praying for healing. If you're unwell physically or mentally or spiritually, any particular way, it's good to receive the healing of God and he's here by his power. So if you'd like prayer or if you're part of the prayer team, come forward, grab a friend. I'm going to say a final prayer. Is that okay? Do you want anything else? So Father, we thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you go with us. We pray that you would complete in us today anything you want to do. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to build us up as a community around Jesus during this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.